Good evening. Good evening, Sangha. It's good to be among friends. And I feel grateful that tonight is the night that I'm giving, or one of the nights that I'm giving a Dharma talk, because um, it was so it was so good to speak with so many of you, not so many, but my two groups this morning, and to just be uh, hearing and receiving and sensing into our time together this afternoon. There's a way that when we teach and share the Dharma from up here, you know, my eyes see you and your bodies in a certain way. And even just walking around the room (laughs) with the microphone and seeing your backs and sitting next to you on the floor and seeing you in a closer way um, nourishes a sense of connectedness and intimacy and really just a sense of personalness of, oh, not just delivering something from up here, right? But I am speaking with you, and we are here in the field that we're creating. And so I invite you to, you know, listen from your um, bellies and hearts, we say it over and over again to open to the presence of embodied awareness. So last night, Eugene spoke about four ways of attending, right? the Satipatthana from the Satipatthana Sutta. Satipatthana, body, mindfulness of body. Vedana, mindfulness of pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant or unpleasant. Mindfulness or awareness of our hearts, what's moving through our hearts, our minds, our heart minds. And then... Awareness, mindfulness of of dhammas, really of how the teachings uh, reveal themselves in our experience. And this is a process that just seeps in and deepens and deepens and deepens over, over years of practice. And as Eugene shared, this is, you know, the pith instruction of, of the Satipatthana Sutta that teaches us to explore awareness in particular ways that are really quite dynamic <laughs> and, and in some ways quite, quite structured. And yet, while it's a highly uh, structured body of teachings that we are, well, really instructions and teachings that we're sharing with you and that we're actively practicing, um, we've been pulling forward the experience of awareness, the dynamism of awareness, and tonight I'll, I'll explore with you a bit uh, Dhamma Vichaya, or investigation. When we look more deeply at our experience, when we touch our experience, when we investigate in this way, 
uh, we understand more. And understanding more is what develops the presence of wisdom. And the presence of wisdom really is what frees our hearts. You know, it, it, it's not the thinking mind, right, that frees us. It's the, it, the wisdom lets go into the truth of how things are. And I just get chills a little bit as I say that. You know, because the practice can sometimes be like, oh, another 45 minutes, la, 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 la. Yet, yet something palpable is happening here. And we're moving in the direction of freedom together. And I'm speaking about this because it's very important to understand how the practice works. It's important that your motivation is in line with uh, how the path works. And, you know, as has been said in the hall, sometimes in the popularized world of mindfulness, we can hold the practice in a way that narrows its potential. That's about feeling better. And we all want to feel better, right? We all want to feel better. It's natural to want to feel better. Yet what... um, what we're making space for is so far beyond feeling better. So in the sutta, there's a part of the sutta that we call the promise or the prediction. And uh, here are the words. And you have to bear in mind where these translations have come from. (laughs) You know, if, if, if um, someone like me were to tra- understood Pali and were to translate the sutta, it would, it would not be the same translation. <laughs> like words like purification, you know, can, ha- can be very loaded. <laughs> and here is the translation. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha, and discontent for acquiring the true method for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. And the word Nibbana really means to extinguish. It's a cooling of all the fires of becoming, to extinguish and rest. And so I'm just overarching here, and I'll, I'll get into it. But just a reminder, the seven uh, factors of awakening, which are the factors that when they are present and in balance and really stabilized in our hearts, our hearts become fertile ground for um, happy, happiness, freedom, wisdom, all the good stuff. So really mindfulness at the center and the arousing factors of invested investigation and energy and PT or joy. And then the stabilizing factors of tranquility and concentration and equanimity. And right here is one way you can begin to uh, play with <laughs> um, investigation in your practice. Just check, check, check your mind. You can kind of sense it right now. Oh, is, is the mind dull? <laughs> is the mind revved up, like what's the balance of the factors? Maybe 
maybe you're really comfortable with the presence of equanimity and not so comfortable with um, the presence of investigation because they're not exactly the same thing. So we're creating a unified, a deeply unified path to freedom. And Ajahn Suchido, who's a very important teacher to me, says this. He says, so Buddhist wisdom is something you do. Huh? I mean, we've been tell- telling you, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> we've been telling you, just, you know, don't, don't, work, don't work so hard. And he's saying, so Buddhist wisdom is something you have to do. It's about applying the mind to find out how stress or suffering is caused, how the roots of it are laid down, and how suffering continues if these roots are not looked into. Is this too loud? Okay, okay. So, so what he's pointing at here is that it's the looking into the roots that um, allows the uprooting. And he's saying something very different than just um, bam, 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 attention on the breath. He's saying looking into the roots, which is both universal and personal. We all have greed, hatred, and delusion, unless there's somebody who's fully awakened in here. If so, that would be great. Um, I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, but, but he's really pointing to, like, really knowing the roots. It's like the root of a cottonwood tree is not the same as the root of a columbine flower. Knowing the, the roots. And so we're saying both. We're saying, and I love that he's saying Buddhist wisdom is something you do. Like how it's, it, it becomes who we are, how we move through the world, just like the presence of compassion, it's not a thing. We, we become compassioned over time. And the felt sense of the word investigate might feel heady to you. Does it feel heady to some of you? It still feels a little heady to me. Dhamma doesn't. But investigate makes me feel like I'm like doing a science experiment when I'm, I was in the eighth grade or something. And so it's kind of like opening and broadening and widening and deepening. What's your relationship to the presence of investigation? In, you know, the way, the way I learned to investigate earlier in my life through thinking thinking and making logical arguments. That's how I learned to investigate. Almost making a case for something, you know? And investigation in, you know, in the, in the space of our practice um, is nurturing a process of intimacy with our own hearts, with the totality of experience. And it's easy to say, but, you know, the mind is so used to thinking. And, and what, what I'm pointing to is profound, but pretty simple and direct as well. So I invite you to kind of like find 
a felt sense of the word investigation that has to do with contact that's invitational, that's beckoning you uh, to understand and love and know more. And as we do this, you know, it's, it's, there can be a way that we, that the practice can be taught from such an individualized dimension. Like, here's my personal psychological thing about knowing my roots, and, and that, that has its place. And just know that as you, as your heart aligns more and more with reality and truth, it's going to affect the lives around you. It's not just individual. And when you consider many of the deepest forms of suffering in our world today, climate catastrophe, white supremacy, all the isms, homophobia, you know, it arises, they arise from a profound lack of wisdom and compassion and understanding. So like what we're doing is not, it's not an abstraction. It relates to the larger uh, freedom that, that, that we may wish for in this world. So the dismantling happens not through just doing what we think that we, needs to be done, which, I mean, that has its place, but, but it has to do with being available for the liminal spaces. It has to do with being willing to not know. That's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to be undefended in that way of not knowing. It's vulnerable to be available, really available, for that which is not yet revealed. And this is the consciousness that can really transform. This is um, by Rosemary Watola Traumer, a fellow Coloradoan. For when people ask, I want a word that means okay and not okay. Maybe you felt that way this afternoon at some point. (laughs) I want a word that means okay and not okay. A word that means devastated and stunned with joy. I want the word that says, I feel it all at once. The heart is not like a songbird singing only one note at a time, but more like a Tuvan throat singer, able to sing both a drone and simultaneously two or three harmonics high above it, a sound, the Tuvans say, that gives the impression of wind swirling among rocks. The heart understands the swirl, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like an insistent breeze leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves, blesses us with paradox so that we might walk more openly into this world so rife with devastation, this world so ripe with joy. 
leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves. This is, this is a bit of the flavor of Dhammavichaya, of investigation. And do you feel that place that beckons you to know yourself more fully? For me, this is part of how I experience what calls me to understand and investigate more. It's, it's like a beckoning, a sacred calling, a, a beckoning that I don't know where it came from, but I know I trust it and I know I listen to it. I was remembering my first long retreat, my first month-long retreat, which was here. And I was struggling so badly with judging mind. And my flavor of judging mind on this retreat was um, basically, I'm not good enough, I can't do this. But mostly it was, I'm not good enough. Everybody else in the room can do this practice and wake up, but not, not me. And, you know, when Eugene said to say, stop it, which is, is wise action, because judging mind is one of the um, strongest barriers to our unfoldment and deepening on the path. So I didn't know then to say stop it. And even if I'd said stop it, it would have just probably kept going and going and going. But I did know enough to investigate it. And so I spent um, weeks and weeks, you know, just in the, t- the tension of it. <laughs> I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And, and, um, but, I, but I kept being curious about it. And I began to see that some of what was at work were words in my mind. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for very powerful words, right? That come from deep psychological patterning and a deep sense of separation um, and deficiency. And as I, as I kept staying with it, this, what happened for me was the question of who decides? What is that construct? You know, who decides? And as soon as that, that, oh, who decides? It's not like it vanished completely forever, but the whole rest of the retreat was a lot easier. And it was a lot gentler you know, because I stuck with this process of being curious about this whole I'm not good enough, um, really painful uh, structure. And part of what allows us to investigate it, like if, if your mind's already made up, have you ever talked to somebody where their mind's made totally made up? Right? Dude, there's no conversation, you know? There's no conversation. So it takes, again, this willingness to not know. And I'm curious. I'm going to say a few words, and I want, I want you to track what happens in your bodies. When you hear the word curiosity... How about uh, the word discover or touch? What happens in your body if you hear the word, when you hear the word wonder? 
or awe. And I know you have masks on and we don't have a mic, but I, I just popcorn, I'd be curious to hear three or four, what happens for you, especially with the word curiosity? You, you can, a couple of you could popcorn talk. Yeah. Being childlike. Yes, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. The lifeblood of living. Yeah. Yeah. The lifeblood of living. Yeah. Love. Love. Both of you, you, you too as well. Andrea, you can go first. Happy and excited. Uh huh. And your hand is up too. Killed the cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so you could, you could feel, you know, we can we can talk about Dhamma Vichaya and investigation and all the Satipatthanas, but we want to feel alive. And we want to feel we want to feel what you're talking about, you know, love and that that childlike quality that I I feel so deeply in nature, just this wondrous revelatory. You know, like Eugene was talking about, you know, the child with a good enough life is going to want to explore. It's going to want to know more. And it's important because it's important that the practice doesn't get dry. You know, you might have had seasons where your practice felt kind of dry or kind of brittle, maybe especially in the past couple years since the rise of the pandemic. It's like, how do we reinvigorate our practices with life and vitality and interest. It's almost like when you fall in love, there's a sense of wanting to know everything about this person. Wanting to know to know everything. We were talking, we were talking about well, we were talking about people we love and there's just a sense of like you could just you know eat them up almost. Like, like a baby. <laughs> and, and, and so just kind of bringing in this, this passionate curiosity. Be- because it can be passionate. Just wanting, wanting to know, wanting to understand. I, uh, so funny how these talks come out never like I think. But I was talking, I was, um, a while ago, I, uh, was working with a particular activation. I was in a meeting and something happened that really bugged me. And it was one of those things my mind kept going back to it, back to it, back to it, back to it. Do you know that feeling? It's like, you know, we can think, why am I, why am I thinking about this again? It's already in the past, like there's nothing more to be done, but still the mind will sometimes just keep going there. And so I was talking, um, with a friend about what was happening in my mind. This is a friend I do inquiry with and how I could see that it was time to let it go, but I wasn't letting it go. And, you know, the, the issue wasn't so much the activation around what happened at the meeting. It was that I was totally identified with it. 
you know, the activation can be one thing, the story can be one thing, but I was totally cathected to it, basically. And my friend asked me the best question. My friend said to me, yep, my friend said to me, what are you trying to accomplish through this momentum, Aaron? What are you trying to accomplish through this momentum? And it just kind of gave me an entirely different perspective than the content. And I, you know, it was very clear that what I was trying to accomplish was me, <laughs> was becoming, was existing, was self. You know, that if I, if I needed to do something, you know, I, I could do something, but it was, it was the most, um, it was such an important question. What, and I'll, I'll say this to you for those places in your mind. What are you trying to accomplish through that momentum? And yeah, the ongoing egoic activity of grasping and rejecting and how as we get more and more and more curious, it can pass through and and we're not glued or hooked in in the same way. But that only happens through investigation. And that's different than thinking about content. It was me feeling into the actual momentum in my heart and, and you know, being willing to make room for something other than my re- repeating story. This is a wonderful quote from a teacher I wish I knew more about named Devi. I got it from, Eugene shares quotes really liberally with us. <laughs> and it's for Dharma teachers. Quotes are like gold. We were just talking about that. And so um, this is a good place for the quote that you shared with me many years ago. And this is for, for uh, students who have trouble letting go. And I'm going to say letting go. Um, What she says is that's normal. Everybody wants to let go. But how do you let go if you don't hold things, don't really touch things in full consciousness, full awareness, with a totally open heart? The first experience is of touch, a profound contact between things with the universe, without mental commotion. Everything begins there. Touching, opening, accepting the universe deeply. If you let go before touching, you can bring on mental turmoil. So like, let that be part of your felt sense of investigation in your practice. Touching in full consciousness. And the thing is that it's the awareness that allows the investigation. It's the mindful awareness that, that makes it possible because everything changes with presence and everything changes with, with mindful awareness. The experience isn't the same because, because the, the awareness framed up you know, it moves us in the direction of 
living in harmony, real harmony. And it is messy. And there is paradox. But there are moments, like my moment of saying, oh, the, the piece around the momentum, or the piece around uh, not good enough. So the realization of the truth comes from a willingness to be intimate with our own experience in a way that's really contactful. And that's different than meditating from a place of trying to have some fancy bells and whistles, rainbows and unicorns meditative experience. It's very, very, very human, very vulnerable. And then we have these incredible teachings that, that are, you know, <laughs> this incredible path that, that gets us, gives us the how-to, how to do that. Always. Oh, the mind needs to be stabilized enough to actually take a look. I didn't have time before the talk, but I was thinking about the Hubble telescope. You know, and just how, how vast this universe is and, and how much we really don't even know about the little slice that we do know. You know, so, so what we're doing here is really incredible, opening to more and more and more of what's possible. And so the question, that, this question that's been mentioned, who and what is investigating? Just drop that in sometimes. Who and what is investigating? You know, when, it, when, it's, when it's dark out and you look up at the sky, like let yourself be touched by that wondrousness. It's just sometimes on retreat, I look up at the sky as a sense of, whoa, I can think all this stuff in my own mind. And then, bam, there's the vastness of the sky. So a few um, classical places of investigation, you know, we, I think Eugene talked about the three characteristics, dukkha, anicca, anatta. Are you willing or interested to be curious about your suffering? Are you willing or interested to be curious about your happiness and your non-suffering? Because it's so important that we don't let suffering take up all the space. So important not to let suffering take up all the space. When um, I saw so many of you walking and laying down before the, the meditation. It was actually really beautiful. I thought, oh, something's happening on this retreat. They're not in their rooms. <laughs> They're out here. They're out here in relationship with uh, 
with this incredible land. Yeah, and so just when you're out walking, like, it's easy to see the grass or the oak tree. Do you see the, the movement of the grass? Do you consider the, that the grass won't be the same grass in a day or in an hour? In, in this moment, it's, it's easy to con- concretize. You know, I'm Aaron, I look a certain way, I see all of you, and you've got your spots in the hall, and that's what it is. But it's always changing. It's inherently unstable. And do you notice, you notice the people, do you notice the space in the room? You notice the things outside, the windows, the beautiful, they're not things really, they're, they're processes and trees and beauty. They're like, do, do you notice the space? Do you notice the changing light? So we're, the process of investigation basically trains us um, to see what we've been trained outside of seeing. Even yourself. You know, what's your story of yourself? Do you take yourself to be the same person right now as you did this afternoon during the inquiry, or is it more fluid than that? Do you understand? Yeah. So, so we just we we develop the lens of investigating. How does the stress actually come to be? How does it come to unbe? It's probably happened like hundreds of times today for each of us. What happens in the heart when we attune to the presence of inconstancy? How is it to just open to being curious about the deep truth that you are not separate? and never have been, that your body is made of stardust. Bell hooks, you made me start thinking about bell hooks today. <laughs> and Vinnie brought up a great quote, and this is a different quote, but um, from bell hooks, contrary to what we may have been taught to think. Unnecessary and unchosen suffering wounds us, but need not scar us for life. It does mark us. What we allow the mark of our suffering to become is in our own hands. And there's a way that the suffering, while I would never wish it on any of you or myself, it can have a holy dimension. It can have a sacred dimension if we let it. It can bring forth our goodness if we let it. And I'm not talking about deep, enduring collective suffering. I'm more talking about um, more, more individual, ordinary suffering. It can bring forth goodness if we let it. So,
you know, listen in with your heart to what beckons you. Listen in to where you're curious. Other places of investigation, and this isn't a talk on all the different ways to investigate, but this is just to kind of remind you, you know, all the Satipatthana, all the ways of attending, um, the three characteristics of Nietzsche and Atadukha, you can investigate um, what nourishes faith and trust for you. Like what makes you actually not get in your car and leave? Something is, you're still here. Looks like a pretty full hall. You can investigate the seven factors in the mind that I talked about. You can investigate the places of non-suffering. You know, really recognizing them. I, um, in Buddhist, in Buddhism, there's three personality types that, that are spoken about. A greed type, a aversive type, and a deluded type. And I'm an aversive type, which means, you know, I'll go into a room and I'll see what I don't want. And a greed type would go into a room and see what they do want. You know, a deluded type might say, huh? And, um, you know, it's interesting for, for some years, there is a sense of just feeling like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I'm an aversive type. I must be so aversive, 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 aversive. And, and it kind of became a self-identity. And then I started really investigating and looking at my mind, and I realized, oh my gosh, there's all these moments where there's no aversion. There's mostly metta and love. Lots of them. And I realized because of the narration, I I was just missing all these moments of non-aversion. So do you notice your moments of non-suffering? And and a moment of non-suffering can be enough, just the, the peace and calm of simple awareness the sufficiency of that. So you're noticing your moments of non-suffering. There's so much more I could talk about with regard to investigation, with regard to racial awareness and whiteness, with regard to so many systems of control and dominance and oppression. And I'm not doing that because we're in this particular retreat setting, but... um, Investigation has the power to illuminate that which needs to be illuminated and that which can free not just ourselves, but begin to support our our world moving in the direction of peace and freedom. I have two more pieces I'd like to share with you. Many of you may be familiar um, with the work of Dr. Bio Akamolafe, and I'm reading part of part a part of part of an interview, and he was talking about giving a keynote in South Africa, during which he spoke about slowing down. He says, and a German brother of mine wrote me about his experiments in slowing down, and he said he went back to work and tried to do things slowly and write the memos more slowly, and he felt like it wasn't working. And he wrote back to him and said, slowing down is not a function of speed. It's not, let's take a break, let's go on vacation, let's leave it all behind. It's none of that. But slowing down is a function of deepening awareness. 
That's some of what we're doing here, a function of deepening awareness and noticing others in the room. Like in this moment, as you attune to the presence of awareness, how is it to invite a sense of curiosity that's not a project, that's not a doing, that's not, not a, you know, curiosity isn't about straining the eyes so you can peer into something. That's just striving intention. But to be here with an awareness imbued with curiosity and kindness. And to let that be enough. A little later in the interview, it's interesting, he says, slowing down is not a function of privilege. It's a function of intimacy with a world that is agentially alive. It's crossroads dynamic. And the word agentially, I'd never, I'd never heard that word before. But it means like a, it's an adverb that means um, an agent or agency. And an agent is a person or thing that takes an active role and produces a specified effect. And so what he's saying, this function of intimacy with a world that is alive in this way, agentially alive. So it's like, oh, there's you, and then it's internal, external, both. Wow, what is that? That's something that has the flavor of the sacred, that has the flavor of, of the mystery. And all you have to do in a moment-to-moment way, like you don't even have to be present all the time, but just to be willing to be present. And to let yourself be interested, this is part of the, to me, just the um, tragedy of some of the culture within which many of us live. It's just like, you know, thinking gets lifted up, and it has its place. Thinking is very, very important, but intimacy, not so much. You know, we would be at a very different place in the planet, in the wildfires, if we were, uh, if we valued real intimacy in this way that, that doesn't only center humanity, that, that decenters the human experience and centers the larger experience. So I'll end. Um, with a poem. And the reason I'm sharing this poem isn't really about sadness or beauty, but it's just about being interested in the poignancy of our experience. The poignancy, even the poetry of our experience. Like, wow, so much goes on here. This is just by, by Mark Nepo. Everything is beautiful, and I am so sad. This is how the heart makes a duet of wonder and grief. The light sprang through the lace of the fern 
is as delicate as the fibers of memory forming their web around the knot in my throat. The breeze makes the birds move from branch to branch as this ache makes me look for those I've lost in the next room, in the next song, in the laugh of the next stranger. In the very center, under it all, what we have that no one can take away and all that we've lost face each other. It is there that I'm adrift, which is the name of this poem. It is there that I'm adrift, feeling punctured by a holiness that that exists inside everything. I am so sad and everything is beautiful. Feeling punctured by a holiness that exists inside everything. I am so sad and everything is beautiful. So it's all, it's all included, no part left out. Really. No part left out. Just take a moment and let the words settle. I thank you for your efforts in the practice and for being here. And when you go out and do the walking, just look up, look up at the sky. Maybe the sky is looking back at you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.